You know, October 19, 2016 didn't start off like a special day at all. It was really boring. It was a boring day. And, uh, you know, other than the fact that we had some uh, flooding due to a recent hurricane that had come through, there were some large fans in our office that were pretty loud. But you wouldn't have thought that day that, hey, three guys were going to run into the office, fire a gun in the air, and that same guy that fired the gun in the air was going to be the one that held that same gun in my head walking around the office just demanding money. You know, that's a story that you've likely heard before from me. But today, I'm going to talk about what happened after that day. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. You are listening to Keeping It Raw. I am Raw, and boy, do I have a treat for you today. So, I, uh, of course, just went to the federal trial, okay? I didn't realize that people weren't allowed in the federal in the in the courtroom. So the guy had no family, no support, nothing like that except his attorneys. That's the only people he had on his side. Well, I guess arguably the jury is, you know, unbiased, but uh, this is so interesting. Uh, what happened, what I learned that day. The timeline now makes sense. The My part in this trial now makes sense. So um, I guess without further ado, let's start. Oh, I wanted to say it this way. Without further ado, these are their stories. So the robbery that took place in my office was the first of this federal trial, okay? The first one that has happened uh, that brought us to this point. He had uh, uh, he has a long history of robbing. He has a long history of both armed robbery and strong arm robbery. He has a history of breaking and entering. Uh, there's a long rap sheet going back since he was uh, in his, I think, his teen years. And one interesting fact that I've learned is that when somebody does such crazy things uh, as a kid, as a teenager, by the time they're 27, they usually have grown up, stopped doing those things, and completely reversed course. Of those people that go beyond 27 and continue to do these things, there is some kind of mental block there that allows them to mature that allows them to, um, I guess, make better choices. Uh, someone said that it's a mental disability, but I want to be careful with that word because I don't want to make it seem like, um, oh, he's incapable of understanding or incapable of knowing right from wrong. That's not what it is. It's just that he thinks that it's okay to do that, that it's okay to live a life like this. So anyway, uh, our robbery was the first in regards to this federal case. He had been seen um, in federal court before, and he had been seen in front of this federal judge before, and when he found that out, he was really upset. I mean, this guy, I was told, was pretty pissed. He was trying to get away uh, with uh, having this trial or having this case moved to another judge, at least, but uh, it wasn't happening, apparently. And this judge was very, very uh, old school. He didn't tolerate a lot in his courtroom. In fact, some of the, they were telling us that some of the witnesses, when they were walking in, you know, you have to walk in the courtroom from the back, and then you walk up to get sworn in, and then you take your seat to be uh, able to testify. So I guess uh, some people were lost with when they walked in, they didn't know where to go or where to... So the judge was getting upset with that. He was also getting upset during some of the testimony. He was huffing and sighing and things like that. Uh, so he's a low-tolerance judge and uh, already. So on top of you know being seen in front of this guy, I, I kind of get where that could come from. You know, This guy is coming in front of you again to be seen on different charges. So there's that. So our, our case was the first, or our robbery was the first. Um, to start this timeline. So after our robbery, about two weeks later, I think it was November 2nd-ish uh, when he went to a Bank of America 
and robbed them. And when he robbed them, he went by himself and uh, fired a gun in the air, just like he had done with my office, and got $30,000 in cash, a little over $30,000 in cash. Ran out, whatever, he left. That um, that Bank of America, uh, there were witnesses that identified a specific accent, and... Um, I guess it was like a Jamaican style accent and they realized, they realized that because they had an employee there that was from Jamaica and would switch in and out of his accent and they would kind of poke, poke fun at him and how he was able to do that. And so that's how they were able to recognize that. Okay. So that happened. And then, um, uh, they got armed security at bank of America and they had armed security for about three weeks and the contract for that armed security was up. And they realized that it was up or coming up and they were trying to get Bank of America to continue to contract that armed security guard there. But Bank of America was just like, no, it looks like the threat is over. And they're like, are you serious? We're about to get in front of the holiday season. We had just been. uh, And so they felt like this guy was going to come back to rob them is why I think they felt like that because. It was so easy for the guy, and he didn't get caught. There was no evidence except, you know, the bullet fragment. Oh, no, they didn't even get the bullet from that incident. They were unable to retrieve the bullet that was fired. So they went ahead and um, released the armed security. Two days later, after they fought for this guy to stay there, two days later, the guy comes back to rob them again. So a little detail about this. So he came back this time with a friend and uh, they parked their car, I guess, behind the Bank of America was a like a single tree line. And beyond that was a clearing. So that's where they parked their car. They ran into Bank of America, uh, both of them, and robbed the place. And they she knew immediately that it was the same guy because of his voice and uh, fired the gun in the air, robbed the place. They got another, a little over 30000 It was, I think, each case, one was 31000 one was 32000 uh, whatever the case is. He robbed them again, got almost exactly the same amount of money, and, uh, and left. Well, the cops were able to retrieve the bullet that was fired in the air this time because uh, I guess they went into the attic and were able to uh, locate it. The this is how this is uh, these are the three robberies that were involved in this, and this is how the guy got caught. They, of course, have video surveillance in Bank of America, and because they have video surveillance, they found one of the guys. They identified the guy because the guy, believe it or not, had a cross tattoo on his nose. If you are going to be, if you're going to get a cross tattoo, do not, if you do not, any criminal know, any criminal should know not to get such identifying features. This is the silliest thing you can do. It's not enough for somebody to identify you based on your height. It's not enough for somebody to identify you based on your skin color or your age or your sex or your race. That stuff doesn't matter, but when you get identifying characteristics, I mean, if you got a big scar on your face, don't rob somebody. <sighs> this is not a 101 for criminals. This is a 101 for dummies and common sense. So that's how they found out who that was. But of course, uh, it, they required more to actually locate him. So it's not enough to know where they are. They, I mean, who they are. They got to know where they are so they can get them. So yeah, an anonymous tip came in. And that's how they tracked that guy down. Well, um, I guess what happened next was this guy was upset at Edward Moore. Eddie is the guy that robbed my place, the one that put the gun to my head. He's the guy that's in this case, this trial right now. Uh, he's the main bad guy, okay? Uh, I identified him as a ringleader. I kind of talked about that in one of the other podcasts. So this guy, who I believe, like, who I know has a long rap sheet, horrible, uh, is 41 years old, by the way, little <laughs> little fact. And uh, he, of course, got over $60,000 by Robin Bank of America alone. 
And on the second robbery, when he had gotten the other $30,000 and took the guy with him, he only gave his partner $5,000 of this whole thing. So an anonymous tip came in that led the police to find uh, Danny, who uh, Danny McCoy is the other guy with the cross on his nose. They found Danny McCoy and Danny really quickly, because he held a grudge for only getting 5000 for this robbery, turned his guy over <laughs> like quick and i i know that because i talked to the detectives who were in charge of this like this is this is pretty insane so uh yeah danny gave over his guy pretty quick rolled over on him pretty quick so they got eddie and um and arrested eddie and at some point eddie decided to oh this is how crazy eddie is <laughs> so they lock him up and the guy that takes him to the jail is the husband of the bank manager of Bank of America that he had just dropped. <laughs> oh my goodness, the connections here. Uh I learned so much. So he goes to jail, he gets put in the interrogation room. Of course they're questioning him. They're letting him know, "Hey, we know you did this. You know, what else have you done basically?" So they got the bullet, they connected it to our robbery, and so now they have three robberies that this guy has done. And, of course, they recognize his accent. You know, it's pretty distinctive. Um, but they, they uh, I guess one of the detectives, when he went in to interrogate him, he, um, Eddie, who was handcuffed to the table, used one of his hands, who was also ha which was also handcuffed, to try to lunge at the detective. <laughs> And uh, as pointless as that would have been, I mean, you're handcuffed. Like, that's not going to. So the detective was like, yeah, that's your <laughs> that's your last chance. That's your only warning. Don't do that again. You're going to get you're going to get hurt. You're the only one that's going to get hurt here for doing that. Uh, yeah. So that happened. And they connected him to our robbery and they put him in jail. He was in jail for um, a couple weeks, I think about two weeks before he requested to go to the hospital. So the jail lieutenant who okayed him to go to the hospital, I talked to him. He said that um, they do have a nurse and a doctor there, and they have all the equipment necessary that they can do everything that the hospital can do. However, there was a part-time doctor there who told them to send him to the hospital. And I don't know why he requested to go. I don't know what the problem was. So they took him. To the, he okayed his transport to the transport to the hospital with the, another deputy. So the deputy took him. Of course, we know at the hospital he overpowered the deputy. The um, then he ran out. He was in orange overalls because he was an inmate, and he was chained. His feet were chained to his waist. Um, I'm not sure if his how his arms were chained. I never got that information. But he ran out of the hospital through the emergency room, and there was a lady there, Miss Williams, who was dropping off her uh, her father to the ER. They were at the door of the ER, and there was just it was just convenient. It was an easy target, and so that's exactly where he ran to. He had a stun gun in his hand, pointed it to her, got in her van, and drove off. There is video. Uh, inside and outside of the hospital, the ER room, the video inside has no audio for HIPAA reasons, and the video outside does have audio, and you hear yelling, a lot of yelling, and as I was sitting outside of the courtroom in the hallway, um, they, the, there was just, it was just loud, because you couldn't hear anything else in the hallway, but you heard this video because it was really loud, and they uh, played that, and I'm not sure who was doing a lot of the yelling. I think it was security is who was yelling because it sounded like a male voice. And I talked to Miss Williams and I, you know, I kind of asked her how she was doing. She was the lady that her van was stolen. And, you know, she was dropping her for her elderly uh, father. And so he felt bad because her father felt bad because he wasn't able to protect her in that situation. And, you know, she was just traumatized because her parents are older, you know, and she said that anytime she has to go to the hospital now, she does get shaken up. Um, she starts shaking a little bit. And uh, so it's these are things that people still deal with, you know, 
traumatized, uh, PTSD, things like this. People still deal with these problems, nightmares. And so um, her van was stolen. He stole her van and uh, that was redundant. Took it to an abandoned house and parked it like butted up against the house. It was an abandoned house and and was gone. And they found the van pretty quickly, but they um, but they didn't find him for another couple days. And somebody gave up where he was. He was at a gas station uh, not far from the hospital in his car. And I think he was drunk that night. I had heard from one person that he was drunk that night. And then I heard from another person that he almost lost his life that night because of the way he was acting. And there was a detective who took an axe to the window, his driver's side window, to get him out. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, that sounds crazy, but I heard it from one person. And, you know, these are all people who were um, testifying in this case. So uh, I'm guessing there's other proof. out. There. I don't know. Uh, but I'm just relaying what I've heard and what I've learned and uh, things that make sense. Um, so he he uh, was they got him out of the the vehicle and they arrested him. And uh, and so now I'm going to get into um, what he spent the money on. So it was nothing special, just a bunch of little junk. So he got Christmas gifts for his family. He went all out for them. He went to City Trends and bought a leather jacket that they were trying to uh, trace, uh, but couldn't. Uh, I guess it was an expensive leather jacket, and that's what they caught him in, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a bunch of little junk. He, uh, he gave $5,000 $5, to his buddy. I mean, this money disappeared quick, and that's why he wrought. It took him three weeks to lose the money and get another $30,000. Golly. So, um, going to the courthouse, let's talk about that. Okay. So we're in federal court. I, like I said, nobody else is allowed in this courtroom. The only people allowed in are the, are the witnesses only during their toast testimony, uh, the jury, the judge, the defendant and prosecution and defense attorneys and U S marshals in this case. And, uh, and so that was, that was pretty interesting. Let, let me, um, jump into how this day started. So I had to be at court at 1030 in the morning and I was having to wait. So all the witnesses are kind of on different in different areas. Uh, that's one thing you never see on court shows uh, is where witnesses are before they walk into the courtroom. Because of course you always hear the classic, uh, the prosecution would call, like to call their next witness blah, blah, blah. And they walk in just like, but you don't see what happens up to that point And how, what is their cue to walk in? You know, how do they know they're outside the courtroom? How do they know to walk in? So this is what happened. You're sitting outside in different areas and the prosecution has their, another, um, administrator that kind of talks to the witnesses, kind of puts them in certain locations so that they're ready to be called up. And she kind of she's the one that when she's given a nod or some kind of signal, she opens the door and tells the next person to walk in. And as that's happening, they are calling out the next witness. And uh, we like to call so and so as the next witness. And so she kind of gave us clear instructions on what to do when we walked in. We had not been in this courtroom before. Um, and you're not allowed during any breaks to walk into the courtroom. They didn't want us to do that. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty interesting. So you're just sitting in rooms with no electronic devices. No, you're just sitting for hours waiting to be called, you know, waiting to be put up. And it's just a long, boring process. Hours of this. It was horrible. Like there is, you're not, they don't want you talking to other witnesses, really, even though we did. That's how I got a lot of this information. And then. I was able to freely talk after I testified. You just can't, they just don't want you to talk before because they don't want you to change your story or change your testimony or, you know, those change your perspective or say certain things, you know, and anyway, they just want you to tell your story and that's it. Don't tell anybody else's. Don't tell what you think happened. Just tell what you know, a hundred percent to be true. And if you get countered, then that's fine. Just answer as you can answer. Uh, now, what happened was um, 
before, but when I got there, I knew that they were still going to have to pick a, a jury. So when I got in the floor, they brought me and the lady that had gotten her van robbed to the location, and uh, they brought us outside of the courtroom. They were just lining us up. And even though we weren't we weren't uh, going to be back-to-back next to each other, there wasn't um, a specific uh, list yet. And so they had me and her in the in the hallway first outside the courtroom. <clears throat> and then they brought out uh, like 30 or 40 people. And I didn't realize then, but it, they were the potential jurors. They let them all go to the bathroom. They brought them back in. Then they immediately brought them all, all back out, and they were all standing in the hallway that we were sitting in. So I gave up my seat so that somebody else can sit down because there were two things. One, there was a lot of women. Some of them were older women, and I wanted to give up my seat. But also, I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be in here with all these people. So I immediately walked out. And I walked into another stairwell that was there uh, by an elevator. And I was just standing there just like, because I didn't want to hear what people were going to be saying. I didn't want to, me and Miss Williams had been talking the whole time. Like I was asking her what happened, you know, how it happened, how it affected them. I was asking her about her dad, uh, you know, because their van was stolen and all this. It all happened they, in my opinion, had gotten the worst of all this. Yeah, I had a gun in my head that she had a taser and her van was stolen, you know, but um, what wasn't publicized is that she had just gotten paid. Her money was in the van. Her gifts that she had just bought a bunch of stuff for her family were all in the van. And now, and when she, even though she got the van back and it was kind of rough looking, she never got her stuff back, you know, and that was pretty rough. I felt bad about it. But um, so we were talking and then I didn't want to keep talking to her with everybody there. So I walked out and that's why I walked out. So there were about 30 or 40 people there. And then they eventually walked back in. Um, and then the administrator walked out and said, hey, we're switching up the testimony. So I'm going to walk you back upstairs. It was cold in that hallway and it was hot upstairs. So <laughs> there's a lot going on. And uh and then they started, they notified us that they were starting about an hour later. They, um, about an hour later, they, sorry about that. They called a break for lunch. And so me and my old coworker that were there, we went off to lunch. They told us to be back by two. Uh, we got back about two ten because lunch took a while and then we had to move our cars it was it was silly. So we did that. We got back, and as soon as I got back, they uh, they were like, "All right, you need to come down because I'm going to put you on deck." And I was like, "Okay." On deck just meant that I was going to be sitting. They had three people in the hall because uh, one by one you're going to be called, and they put you in the order that you're going to be called. So I was one of those people. So I was on deck, um, and there were two other people in the hallway that were going to be called before me. So when I got in the hallway. Miss Williams was testifying, and that's when I heard the video of what happened outside of the ER. Um, so when she was done, she walked out, and she was visibly shaken. Like she was, um, then she was sh- like shaking her hands and her arms because she was like, you know, that feeling like I don't know if you know that feeling, but she was just so shocked, and she it was so tense, and she was nervous and anxious all at the same time. She was just like shaking her arms like to try to get the feeling off like to just try to be done with it and then she they walked her upstairs and they kind of said you know don't leave yet I know you're done with your testimony but don't leave the judge has to dismiss you okay so um the next person to be called in is the person from the hospital that released the um videotape to the cops and they're basically asking him questions like uh to make sure that he was uh, credible. They wanted to make sure he was an expert in, I guess, videography and and such. And so um, he confirmed that that was his tape, that he did turn over that tape as it is and all this stuff, and he was done pretty quick. Then the next person was the, um, was the lieutenant um, of the prison that okayed Mr. Moore to go to the hospital. And his testimony was pretty quick, and uh, he was done. And she told me that before me was going to be a prisoner. So 
I kind of knew to expect that, but because of how quick these were going, I was like, oh man, I'm about to be done quick. That's, this is, this is good. This is all right. And, uh, I don't, I lost track of time because nobody had their watches because everybody has smartphones and smartwatches and you can't take either of those. You know, they held them, you know, downstairs. I, they made me put mine back in my car, which was like three blocks away. And, uh, uh, okay. So where am I? Okay, so they get done. The lieutenant of the prison gets done. And, oh, by the way, I talked to the lieutenant after I was done testifying. I said, so you're responsible for letting the guy go, right? Because he let him go to the hospital, and then he escaped, of course. So it was kind of lighthearted, you know, at that point. Once you're done testifying, of course, you feel a tremendous sense of relief. And, uh, you know, Miss Williams, she said that she felt like a weight was lifted off her shoulders getting it done. So the prisoner was, took a long time to testify. I want to say 30 minutes to an hour. It was, it was a long time. Of course, I'm saying these things with no sense of time. You know, every so often we would get told what time it was, but it was, it, it's, so I was, we were in the, in the hallway. I was in the hallway with, at that time, my coworker, my ex-coworker and my, um, that's one person, by the way. Uh, I was in there with my ex-coworker. And I was also in there with the forensic tech, forensic tech, uh, who uh, who handled my crime scene. So, um, you know, we were kind of talking back and forth, and we were we I guess all just had an understanding. We can't talk about you know um, our testimony or what they may ask us because we had been we had two um, pre-trial interviews before this so we kind of knew what was going to be asked uh but we were waiting a long time and you know the forensic tech was like this judge doesn't play around so even though she was saying this because we were waiting such a while such a long time she was saying this judge does not play around this judge something is going on in there because he wouldn't there's something going on we're not just wasting time basically so I started piecing it together what was going on and I realized this must this prisoner I was thinking before this I thought that it was a prisoner that had something to do with or knew some knowledge about him escaping but this prisoner I realized was a guy that helped him rob the place and in my opinion he also helped him rob our office too but they didn't time to it so I can't really say that for sure but he was a tall, slim guy, and I was always clear that a tall, slim guy was included in our robbery. Um, but anyway, <laughs> they, they, the time came where they called me in. She opened the door, and I knew I was next, so I walked in. And because she said things like the judge was upset with the people not knowing where to go, all I knew was I had to walk through a gate and walk to get sworn in. And the lady was standing there. So I, she opens the door. I walked in like I owned the place because I knew that I was, tr I was trying to just be confident so the judge wouldn't be upset at me. So I walked in like I owned the place, walked directly through the gate to the – I saw the U.S. attorney uh, that I had met before, and she just kind of nodded and smiled, and I nodded back. And then I walked to – and the lady said, put your left hand on the Bible and your right hand in the air, and – um confirm or swear to this oath or whatever. So she read me the oath, you know, do you swear to that the testimony you're about to give is the whole truth, nothing but the truth? I do. And I sat down and uh, we started with questioning, you know, identify yourself to the jury. Would you look to the jury and identify yourself? So I looked to the jury and identified who I was. And then he asked me where I work and what I do for a living, what my position with that company is, uh, what we specialize in and who owns us, where do we get our policies from, um, uh, give us a description of that day, do you recognize this picture, it was a diagram of my office, so I had drawn, I probably said this in another one, when I first met with them, they had me draw a layout of my office, so I did, and they said, by the way, you might see that in court, and I said, whoa, 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 I don't want to see this picture in the court, because this thing looks sloppy, and uh, it looks like a two-year-old drew this thing. Anyway, so they did a professional diagram of it. And um, the day before, I had to, you know, uh, confirm that that was a, a sufficient diagram. 
So they put that up on the screen so everybody can see it. And then they put a picture up of my office and they had me sh uh, say what this picture was. And I basically said, this is an, a viewpoint from my the front door of my office looking towards the back of my office. And they said, where would the door be? And I said, the door would be just on the other side of this camera, uh, behind this camera. So uh, based on those, I kind of described where I was, where people were, um, because I had a good vantage point, I guess, of where everybody was during the office, uh, or during the robbery. Um, I kind of talked them into what happened. Um, and so I'm going to go into kind of that story so that uh, because I don't think I went into detail about my part in this. So let's go ahead and go over that real quick. So I was helping my coworker on her computer and she said, are we being robbed? We had large, uh, huge and loud fans in our office so you can hear everything. She said, are we being robbed? I simultaneously looked up and they simultaneously shot a gun, one of the guns in the air and ran over and were yelling, where's the money? Where's the money? Everybody get down, put your hands up. Where's the money? Where's the money? And I said, hold on. We have money. We're going to get you the money. I was very calm in this situation because I, I knew that they weren't there to hurt anybody. They were just there for money. I was, I was pretty clear. It was pretty clear. I was focused and I was calm. And I said, we're going to get you the money. And, um, I don't know if I did or Latrice did who was helping or who I was helping, um, gave her, gave them her cash till, which is just the drawer that you put, you separate the fives, the tens, the twenties, all that gave her that till full of cash. And I said, I, and you know, they were asking, where's the money? Where's the money? So I pointed out, well, they weren't there for cash tills. They know that cash tills don't have a lot of money. They were there for the bulk of the money. They thought we were a bank and <laughs> what a bunch of idiots. We're not a bank. We don't have that kind of cash. So, uh, I said, I got money over there and, um, I walked them over to my desk and there were two of them there. One of them was the main guy that shot in the air, and I had my hands up in the air, and I left one hand up, and I was very obvious with what I was doing. I wanted my hands to be visible the entire time. So I, with my right hand, I slowly, I said, I'm opening this drawer, okay? Because I get when you rob places, you probably think there's panic buttons and stuff, and there are panic buttons everywhere, including my office now, okay? But uh, so I wanted to be very clear what I was doing. You know, so I open up my drawer and I gave him an envelope. It was a bank envelope filled with cash, like a whole $200, by the way. And uh, I gave him the envelope. Well, they got mad. They threw the envelope and they didn't. I don't know if they realized there was any money in there, uh, but they weren't interested in just a little bit of money. They wanted the money. So um, I said, I got more money, you know, in the safe. I didn't realize that they threw the money. So I didn't realize they weren't satisfied. So I said, I got some money in the safe, you know, I'll, I'll take you to the safe, you know. Well, to them, safe was like a keyword, like, oh, okay, like, that's what I want, you know. Of course, they were just mad the whole time. But I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking, we have money, you know, <laughs> here's any money. So I walked him over to the safe. He, But I was walking slowly because he was applying pressure to my head with the gun, the guy that shot up in the air. This was the very guy that had the gun in my head walking me over to the safe. And of course, I only had $100 in there. So uh, I don't even know if they took that money, but they uh, were increasingly upset. And I felt like they were going to be making a huge mistake. I felt like there was no risk to them anymore. They had already risked everything. What was another shot or hurting somebody going to mean to them? So my manager saw this. He started taking off his watch and taking off, taking out his wallet. Like, here's, you know, you could take anything. Just, you know, leave us alone, you know, just take something. But they were mad because they were wanting money. And, um, of course, they later robbed Bank of America and got 30000 each time. So there's that. Uh, and uh, they brought another coworker to where we were, and they had us get on the ground. Well, before I got on the ground... I had saw them and they had um, been going through uh, my other coworker's purse and I got on the ground and I was, I was trying to comfort um, 
one of my other coworkers, you know, just telling her they don't want us, you know, they just want the money and we'll be okay. And I started praying because I had gotten so scared because I had gotten scared. Like I wasn't like terrified, but this guy that had the gun in my head, I knew he was shot in the air. I was like, I don't know what else is going on, you know? And, um, I, I started thinking about my son, you know, like, oh my gosh, crazy stuff. And, uh, that's the first time I had said that out loud. So, um, but that's as scared as I got because I just didn't want to go down like this. I, nobody does, but I was like, you hear, hear kind of crazy stuff all the time. Yeah. A lot of people get robbed. A lot of people get strong armed. A lot of people get, you know, robbed with a dangerous weapon and you hear about people dying from senseless robberies, you know, where a, a victim completely uh, cooperates, but it, you know, this stuff happens. So because they were getting more and more upset, I was just, I, that was an honest feeling I felt at the time was it's going to take nothing for these guys to escalate this. So I thought about my son for a second and, uh, and that was, that was rough and it, it didn't last very long. Honestly, it lasted maybe two or three seconds, but when he told me to get on the ground, you know, and I couldn't see what was going on, that's when I was like tripping out. So, um, uh, anyway, within 10 seconds, uh, the because the fans were going we never heard them leave and what happened was my friend had a um had a son in the back office that i don't know if he saw everything i think he did see some things but uh, he was in the back office and while the rubbers initially got there they were running throughout the office running straight to the back they never opened that door that he was in and i was shocked I was shocked to learn that. Um, but his son came out of the back office and yelled for his dad. And my friend immediately got up and ran. Well, exactly when he got up, I got up because I knew when I heard that voice that it didn't matter. And so my friend got up and I knew he wasn't going to be concerned with these guys. And I had just seen him on the other side of this counter. So I ran towards them while he ran to the back like simultaneously because I knew he had no concern. And when that happened, um, I realized when I was running towards where they, where I'd lost, last saw them, they were gone. And so I kept running towards the front door, try to see where they were because I knew that they were gone. So I was going to try to see if they, I can get a description or get a vehicle. And I got nothing. I did not see anything. And this was not, but 10 seconds. If that, I mean, it was so quick and they were completely gone. So, um, I immediately locked the door and I called the cops and I told them, you know, where I was, what we had just experienced. And they said, we're sending somebody now. And it was pretty quick before the cops got there. I, I can't give you a time frame. I don't know, but it was pretty quick. There were some witnesses that said they had saw a green, dark green vehicle speed away and turn down um, Ireland drive. Now Ireland drive was later where, when he escaped, they caught him. When he escaped from the hospital, they caught him on Ireland Drive. So that's how familiar he is with this area, okay? And uh, anyway, um, but that was also the color of his vehicle that they found him in. So same road. They Anyway, that was a coincidence, I guess. So uh, let's see. So that's how the robbery went down, and that was my testimony of what happened that day. Um, I I knew that the guy was one thing that I had kept getting questioned uh, was how tall was the guy that shot up in the air and had his gun to you? And I said, I feel like he was my height. I feel like he was my height, and he was stocky, and uh, and he was black. I knew that for sure. And they asked, did did I pick up an accent? And no, uh, I didn't pick up an accent, but they consistently asked that question um but they because they consistently asked how tall he was I um I started to doubt myself 
So when I mean consistently, I mean I had two pretrial uh, interviews, and in each time they asked, and then during the trial I asked, well, he's my height. <laughs> they, and they would specify each time. But Okay, so what I learned late, later was they weren't asking me because they were trying to see if I would change my testimony. They were asking me uh, because they wanted to make sure I was 100% certain and that there, there were the reason they were asking is because they already knew how tall he was. So yeah, I guess he's five, six. And, uh, I realized that after the fact, and he's of course short and stocky, just like, you know, and so I was very, I was clear on, I'm glad I didn't change it because I almost said in the actual trial, because I wanted to be a hundred percent truthful. So if I had doubt, I, I was going to say, you know, I don't know, or I don't recall. And so there were a couple questions that I was asked where I said, I don't know, I don't recall. And I felt like when I said I don't recall, that's exactly what you say because you've heard people in courtroom testimony say that before, you know? So, but I was very, I was very clear and I was confused because I obviously I can't identify that this was the guy, you know? So anyway, I got sworn in, I sat down, they asked me those questions, then um, it was time for... Um, to be countered by the defense attorney. And I saw him in the corner of, in my peripherals, like the defendant, Eddie, I saw him in my peripherals, but I didn't, he had on a blue dress shirt, but uh, I didn't make contact with him. Um, I could see that he had a beard, but I was looking at the defense attorney the whole time. And he asked me a couple, I think he asked me three questions. One of them was, um, did you pick up an accent? No, I did not. Uh, do you, did you see anybody with hair? Did e any of them have hair? I said, I don't recall. Uh, but what I do know is they all had hoodies on and masks. And the mask was a partial face mask. It was like from the nose down. Um, and then he asked me what color the gun was. And I said, I don't remember. Um, and he said, do you do you remember giving a statement to the police that day? And I said, I do give, I did give a statement to the police. Of course, of course I gave a statement to the police. I called the cops and then I was robbed. So I, we had to talk to them and I didn't realize that. So I just thought he was asking a simple question. So I was like, yeah, I did give a statement to the police. Well, he was asking also like during, during that statement, do you recall saying that it was a silver gun? And I said, I don't remember saying that, but if I said that that day, that was 100% true. Um, and he said, no further questions, which was weird because it was a silver gun. And uh, I'm like, why would you point out that fact? And I think it was just because he was trying to say if I trying to see if I was going to change up the color of the gun, maybe. But then he said, do you remember, which would further hurt his case, <laughs> So he asked me what color the gun was. I said, I don't remember. But he said, do you remember saying it was a silver handgun? Oh, he was looking at his paperwork. I think he realized that after the fact. So he was asking me that question as he was reading it. So I don't think he realized that he was asking me. He was basically pinpointing that this gun was silver. <laughs> okay, that makes sense now. All right. A little revelation. Sorry about that. But, uh... Uh, so I testified or whatever, and, uh, and the judge did have a little quip. I'm not going to say what he was gonna, what he said, but he, uh, he interjected himself in quite a few of the testimonies. And one of the ladies, after she was done testifying said, you know, how he had interrupted her. He had asked a question, but she remembered thinking like, judge, it's not, you're not supposed to be asking questions. Like, this isn't your turn. Like, Anyway, it was it was it's pretty funny because the judge certainly has some kind of reputation for this. Um, anyway, so I got done and I wasn't released, so they had me go upstairs. They dismissed the jury and um, to take a little recess. And I walked in the hallway, and of course, you know, the people that are up next are there, and and uh, it was pretty neat. It was pretty. That part, I felt like when I was walking out, the administrator told me, you know, we're going to try to, when the judge comes back, try to get everybody who's already testified to be free. 
And uh, that didn't happen, by the way. I still sat there till six o'clock that day. Uh, it was pretty. It was pretty. It was a pretty long day. So uh, when I go back upstairs, I start talking to people and getting more of their stories, and that's how I know so much of what has gone on. Um, uh, but they will likely uh, the next day they would have likely been done with everything and had a verdict uh, because. When they asked, uh, that one of the questions that I didn't, I wasn't prepared. I, it's not that I wasn't prepared to answer, but one of the questions we didn't prep for was, you said your manager's son was in the building also. How old was he? And I said he was six years old. When I said that, two of the jurors said, <gasps> and yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay. That's what I was doing here. Like it all came together at that moment. Like, oh, we're just providing, like, the heart of the testimony, like, the heart of the case. The rest of this are just facts. This is, like, detailed, the the heart of the case, what happened. And, uh, yeah, it all came together. And so when my coworker went in there to testify, she said that the jury was looking at her and nodding like they were listening. And, and wow, it was, I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, so all these little pieces came together. Um, all these little dots meant something and it was so mind like at between four and six o'clock while we were up there waiting, all these little pieces were coming together for me. And I was, I was learning so much and just like everything I, I heard, everything I learned was like coming together in my head and we were talking about it openly. And like, honestly, we all felt like a club. I was like, you know what? We're a club. We should meet again sometime. You know, just like because everybody was like, it was just, it was so, it worked so well together. Like it, it was cool to be part of this group. And um, so I was, I was, I was, I was leaving for the day. You know, they let us all leave. Some of us were still talking, and then me and my coworker, we were like, you know, we're ready to go. Let's go. So. Um, as we were leaving, um, I was like shaking everybody's hand, like "Good job today," you know, "Good job," blah blah, blah. and uh, and that was that was pretty cool. Of course, I knew that was corny, but I was just like, you know, like you know what? I'm probably never gonna see you guys again, but it was cool talking to you guys. It was cool getting to know you, and and um, you know, they gave us visitor passes and whatever. So I, as we were walking out, um, I took my pass off and. Uh, I was like, yeah, it was good meeting you. I hope I'd never meet you again. Like, I, you know, part of the things we were joking about because we were waiting so long was like, I hope I never witness another thing again because I do not want to go to court. This is ridiculous. This is the most boring day. I'd rather be working a difficult day than being here, just sitting here with no phone. I mean, there was things off. It was just ridiculous, a ridiculous compila compilation. And, uh, yeah, so... That was pretty much my day. They um, they put us in a hotel. Um, they paid for it for the whole week, um, or they had reservations for the whole week. But, um, yeah, I wasn't about that. So, uh, And it was a nice hotel, by the way. But I didn't realize that all of us were spread out in the hotel. So that was pretty cool. But, of course, I still locked my, my room door with the top latch because I – I just didn't know that no he didn't have people there to support him because if they knew where we were like oh another thing is I deactivated my Facebook during that time too because one of my suggested friends you know as you're scrolling you see suggested friends one of them had the last name the same last name as him and I was like oh I don't know if that means so I like deactivated my Facebook because I didn't want any more you know so after that day I reactivated because I was it was clear he didn't have he didn't have support. He's been living his whole life like this. There wasn't, he messed up with his friends, you know, only giving him $5,000. So I was like, oh, this guy ain't got nobody. I ain't, I ain't afraid of nobody. So on my way out of the, one thing I didn't say was as I was walking out, I was nodding at people when I was walking out of the courtroom after I testified, I was nodding at people. Why? I, I, because I was nodding at people, I accidentally nodded at him. It was a downward nod that I was doing. But I made eye contact with him and nodded at him, and he probably felt like that was <laughs> – like I did not mean to antagonize him or make him feel any kind of way. 
at some point, one of the people that were testifying said that one of the marshals leaned over to him and said, shh. <laughs> uh, and then uh, one of the detectives that testified, when he was done, he said he walked out of the courtroom and smiled at him. And he said that the his attorney did not like that, you know. But I was like, man, that's probably the last smile he's going to get in a long time. But each robbery uh, carries a minimum of 25 years. So he's got 75 years minimum, plus all the other charges. So it's going to be well over 100 years that he'll be getting as a result of this. And um, the other charges include the robbery of, uh, I'm sorry, still in the van from the lady um, and pointing the stun gun at her. Uh, kidnapping, he has a kidnapping charge. He has, uh, what else? He's got... Uh, I don't remember all the other things. So he's got all that stuff. Um, there were local charges, but the the DA did not want to pursue that until they heard the outcome of this case because if he's going to get locked up for all this time, they weren't going to waste any time or any money prosecuting for other stuff, the little stuff. So, uh, so that's going on with that. Um, they expect to have a verdict the next day after I testified, and then it'll probably be another week before they get sentencing done in which case I can follow up uh, to find out what he's sentenced for, and then I'll let you know. But, yeah, so he's he's going to get in this, in being seen in front of this judge, he said that judge, this judge will give him everything, every minute that they can give him, uh, which I guess is true across the board for federal cases. Like, they don't play around with that. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, and so um, this was... A great experience. I mean, it was a, the process was horrible because the fact that I didn't find out they had caught this guy and linked him, you know, two and a half years ago when they caught him originally. But, uh, and I asked some of the other people, I said, when did you find out they caught him? Of course, the bank people said that they had been getting letters and no, were notified every set, every time that anything happened with this guy. Anytime he had to go to court, anytime he was moved, anytime they, you know, they were contacted by the FBI and the prosecution when they went federal. Um, so everybody knew everything the entire time, except us. We found out three weeks ago when the case was actually going on. And I was like, so yeah, that was horrible. And I was telling them and they were like, wow, I can't believe that happened or whatever. But uh, it was a great, it was a great time. It was cool to meet these people. And it was a horrible experience to me. And, uh, but that's pretty much the story. And thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. And uh, with that being said, thanks for keeping it raw and keeping it under an hour. <laughs> I can't believe this is the longest podcast. So thanks for sticking in there, guys. Have a good day. Bye.